so the goal here is to have a Minnesota craft cannabis community. So the only license types that are allowed to be vertically integrated are for those licensees who would have a relatively small canopy size with the idea that we want to try to promote lots of people who maybe don't have access to tons of capital, but we want lots of small operators, kind of along the lines of a microbrewery idea. And initially, the initial draft of the bill wasn't going to allow any bulk cultivation licenses at all. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And holy shit, we're officially in the countdown until 420 and things have escalated on my end significantly. We had a really great South by Southwest event with our friends at Salvation Pizza last month that included some Delta 8 dosed ranch dipping sauce, as well as other fun cannabis surprises like CBD and THC beverages, edibles, pre-rolls. But that party was purely for our industry friends who were in town for South by. And it was so successful that Salvation agreed to do something similar for 420 that was consumer facing. Of course, pizza and cannabis is kind of a no-brainer, and so we are putting together the dosed and infused party happening at Salvation Pizza off Rainy Street from 6 to 8 p.m. this Thursday, April 20th. We've got great sponsors contributing to the festivities from Grav and Crisp and Crude to Bayou City Hemp. There will be $4.20 pizza specials, and we're reintroducing our Delta 8 infused ranch dipping sauce. Plus, we'll be playing Cannabis and Austin, cult favorite, dazed and confused, as we munch through the night. In addition to that, you may or may not know how much wellness and fitness is a part of my personal lifestyle. And so to balance the gluttony of pizza and cannabis, we also decided to sponsor a fitness event on 422, which also happens to be Earth Day. So we're popping up at one of my favorite gyms in Austin ever called Athletic Outcomes. It's actually where my sister and co-founder Sydney began her training career as a coach before she left the fitness world to help pursue Restart with me. We also had a little stint where we were selling at AO. We really got our start there doing events and connecting with our consumers in person, doing CBD 101s. So we clearly have a soft spot for AO. And as such, they agreed to let us come sponsor a class with some CBD and THC edibles. And I really am just looking forward to being back in their space and connecting with people about cannabis from a recovery and wellness perspective, but also highlighting there are many ways to enjoy 420 from indulgence to wellness. And we also just got connected to do a very last minute, but super high end 11 course tasting dinner also on 420 evening with Wicked Kitchens. They are a new to Austin plant-based event and private dining space. And not all the courses will be dosed, but we're planning on introducing about 10 milligrams of THC throughout the meal with options to add more depending on individual preferences. We are still in the planning phases of this, if you can imagine, because it's happening this week. So certainly more to come on that when we wrap things up. But really the whole point of sharing this is just to highlight what is going on in Austin, in Central Texas. It's really cool to see so many cannabis opportunities blossoming in our backyard and especially ones that we get to be a part of helping see come to fruition. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how everybody else enjoys their 420 and especially how Texans are willing to play and explore cannabis here in my home state. But I'd love to hear what y'all are up to for 420 and how you celebrate the holiday, whether you are working it or enjoying it or both. I'm really just looking forward to seeing what creative ideas y'all have. So please do reach out. You can always catch me on Instagram at to be blunt pod and at the shade of I would love to have a conversation with you. Now, a few noteworthy news updates for you. I know we've talked about Germany's leadership when it comes to cannabis advancement in the European Union, but as of last Wednesday, their plan for recreation adult use rollout seems to be watered down. The German government is backpedaling on its plan to implement nationwide recreational cannabis legalization 
instead opting for a two-track scaled-down approach with limited commercial opportunities for now. Germany's new blueprint for a regulated cannabis industry unveiled Wednesday features two pillars. The first, nonprofit associations would be allowed to jointly cultivate cannabis for adult use purposes and distribute it to members for their own consumption. This part of the new plan is expected to be implemented in 2023, so hopefully later this year. And the second pillar is that regional pilot projects with commercial supply chains would be rolled out for a limited period of time. The aim of these trials would be to collect data to support future public policy. Now, these policy pivots offer an important lesson to businesses on the importance of acting strategically and not reflexively. For example, Israel, Mexico, and New Zealand have all unveiled ambitions to legalize and regulate adult use in recent years, only to see those plans fizzle out for various reasons. And after unveiling the blueprint in October of 2022, Germany's draft framework was sent to the European Commission and the European Union's executive branch for approval to ensure compatibility with the EU and global drug laws. So I don't know if you were excited to make a future trip to Germany so that you could enjoy cannabis legally. It seems like it's still coming. It's just going to be a little bit different accessibility. I would be curious of what some of these, you know, regional areas are going to be focused on. Hopefully, certainly the larger cities in the country. And then for tourists, will they be able to access the nonprofit associations that are able to grow for their members that would be really curious to me to see how that transpires as well so the next story is eerily similar to what we're navigating in texas hemp right now florida's budding hemp industry get this is worth almost 7 billion in retail sales alone and industry experts say that's why they're sending out warnings they say proposed legislation aimed at restricting hemp could end up costing the state billions of dollars as well as thousands of jobs so the total retail sales from the 9,500 retailers that are licensed to sell hemp products is $6.9 billion a year. That's actually more than three times the sales of medical marijuana in the state of Florida, and it doesn't even include the billions from manufacturing and distribution. This just continues to drive home a glaring obstacle to me, which is the overlap of medical marijuana and hemp-derived psychoactive cannabinoids from hemp. In my opinion, no state has navigated this successfully, so I'll be super curious to see how legislation plays out both here in Texas this session, as well as in Florida too. Now, my last piece of news is a bit of a setup for today's guest. As Minnesota lawmakers move towards legalizing marijuana, some of the hemp industry raised concerns last Tuesday about how the proposal will impact their existing cannabis businesses. I don't know if you knew this, but last summer, the Minnesota legislature approved low doses of THC, a chemical that can produce a high, of course we know that, in food and drinks as long as it comes from hemp, which is in line with what we're seeing happening federally with a 2018 Farm Bill language legalizing up to 0.3% adult 9 THC on a dry weight basis. But a new challenge arises with the new bill wanting to legalize marijuana, which creates regulations, licensing, and taxation for any products with THC, not just marijuana derived, but also hemp, which brings hemp growers under new rules and the need for new licenses they say they don't even know if they can get. So Minnesota is a state I know very little about personally, but having heard murmurs of the low doses of THC opening the doors for what I've observed to be lots of cannabis-based beverages, I wanted to bring an expert in who could help make sense of the situation unfolding in the state. I also wanted to highlight that this is a very interesting rule, and I was curious how it's different and independent of the 2018 Farm Bill ruling, which again, essentially legalizes up to 0.3% Delta 9 THC on a dry weight basis because I'm starting to see more hemp-based beverages containing hemp-derived Delta 9 THC, not just in Minnesota, although they seem to have a surplus, a supersized focus on this. It's because of this specific legislature and it's because of this specific piece of legislation. And so that's why I'm really excited because today I'm joined by Jason Trasic. He's the founder of Minnesota Cannabis Law, which he created to serve the hemp cannabinoid, medical marijuana, and adult use marijuana markets in the upper Midwest. He's got over 20 years of legal expertise as a transactional attorney and litigator. And previously, Jason served as the Minnesota political director for the Marijuana Policy Project, where in this role, he helped draft legislation to legalize recreational marijuana for adults in Minnesota. Again, super fascinating conversation. I found it super informative. Jason really helped unpack what's going on, create some boundaries so that we can continue to explore together on the podcast, as well as shares some speculation on what we might expect to happen. That could be an example for other states to come. So 
All that to say, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Jason to the show. Thanks, Jason Tarasek. I'm a cannabis attorney with Minnesota Cannabis Law, a law firm I founded about five years ago now. I've been practicing as a, as a lawyer for more than 20 years, but it wasn't until I launched my own firm with, with some friends that I had some flexibility in terms of what I could do professionally. So around Christmas time, 2017, I saw an old friend and his family in Chicago, Jay Rosenthal, who founded Business of Cannabis. He's now with Dutchie. And he was launching something in Canada in anticipation of legalization there. And I saw it, well, why on earth aren't I doing something like that too? I, I made a list of all the things that would accomplish for me professionally and personally, and it checked every doggone box. I First and foremost, uh, any day that goes by that someone is arrested for marijuana possession, it's a day of injustice. And if for no other reason but that, I'm happy to, you know, do whatever I can to legalize marijuana. Um, so... Like I said, 2018, I founded Minnesota Cannabis Law. I had zero clients, but a lot of interest and drive. And I started doing some citizen lobbying here in Minnesota. I was anticipating a blue wave of sorts in response to the election of President Trump. Minnesota does not have a citizen-led ballot initiative process, so which, which is how most states, I think, have legalized marijuana by putting it to the people. And if we did, we would have legalized marijuana a long time ago. So we have to go through the legislature. And the legislature has been controlled, at least in part, by Republicans until recently. Uh, And in 2018, the Democrats won control of the House. And so I worked with some legislators to reintroduce a bill that had been previously introduced. And it got some traction, got a lot of news coverage. I became the Minnesota political director for the Marijuana Policy Project, and that gave me a tremendous platform. Uh, I love MPP. They're trailblazers. They're wonderful at what they do. And we actually got a hearing on that bill in the spring of 2019 in a Republican-controlled committee in the Senate. And I always tell people, I'll never understand why they gave us a hearing. We knew we were going to lose, but they, we got so much news coverage from that hearing, even though we lost. And um, from that day forward, there was a particular legislator here, former House Majority Leader Ryan Winkler, that really made it his his mission to try to legalize marijuana and actually ended up drafting a bill that passed the Minnesota House about a year and a half ago. That is now that that bill is now the foundation of the bill they're currently discussing now that the Democrats have taken control of the, of the Senate. So that was unexpected. That happened in November of 2022. And all systems have been co from that moment forward, the Democrats have a one vote majority in the Senate. So it's somewhat tenuous, but the party has mobilized around this issue. It's been really beautiful to watch how united they are. And I just guess what a cheerful approach they're taking to it, what a thoughtful approach they're taking to it or taking with it. And, you know, watching what other states have done that has gone wrong and trying not to duplicate that. But at the same time, I'm trying to maybe improve on things that maybe states have missed. So it's a super complicated bill. We've got like 15 different license types, which a lot of people aren't crazy about. But for me, legalization is the key. And we appear to be very close to getting that done. Great background and story just to bring us up to speed. I think my listeners may or may know this about me, but I try to know as much as I can about every state's you know, independent you know, situation, laws, legislation. Minnesota is one that I don't think was really on my radar up until you guys had haphazardly legalized low THC beverages. And so I'm just excited to have this conversation because I think not only is it important to understand just from a legislative perspective, which I appreciate you you highlighted, right? I think most people, especially like approach myself being in a state that is also very much done in legislation. It's not like, you know, I can go get the Austinites to rally and say, okay, we're going to all go put this on, you know, a citizen ballot. We're going to vote for this and legalize cannabis. It does require you to go through the, you know, due diligence and the due process of legislation. And that process is delicate. It is politics. And so obviously, like you were saying, too, depending on where the bill is getting placed in the House or the Senate and then who's representative and who's kind of championing the bill, there's just so many layers to it. And so as much as it, you know, I think sometimes too, I can probably fall into the category, but I think I'm a little bit smarter than that these days. But you see headlines, right, where it's, oh, this so-and-so thing is passing. But then you realize that it's just clickbait and there's so much more that goes into actually the work that's being done to move those bills across the finish line. 
And so I really want to start with understanding, even kind of before this THC thing, what is what is cannabis like in Minnesota? What is hemp like in Minnesota? I'll kind of start with punctuating, you know, your timeline with the 2018 Farm Bill legalization. So that opened up hemp. How did Minnesota take that as a state? Were people growing? Is it as robust as maybe it is here in Texas or obviously even places like Kentucky or Colorado has a really big hemp market? I'm just curious to understand what is Minnesota like for the introduction of hemp, you know, post the farm bill legalizing it? Yeah. So one thing I should mention is that people often say, well, you had to have a successful construction litigation practice. Why on earth would you jump into this? Well, I'm personally motivated, obviously, for the social justice aspects aspects of it, but it's also just intellectually fascinating to yes, be in this field. Construction law, as you might expect, is very static. Cannabis, as you know, evolves every doggone day. I so I'm going to answer your question, I promise. No, that's uh, great. I'm I a Milwaukee native. Points. I went to school in UW University, Wisconsin, Madison. I studied abroad near Amsterdam, and then I went to law school in San Francisco. So people can kind of connect those dots, you know. So a lot of a lot of my life, I've been around uh, marijuana. I've been in marijuana tolerant places, and I was in California when they leaked, when they uh, passed their medical marijuana bill. And you know, San Francisco, even before that, was a very tolerant place for marijuana. And then I moved back here and and to, to Minnesota in 2005, and was a little sort of culture shocked by people's thoughts about marijuana, it it was still kind of old fashioned, I guess I'll say. And that honestly, it's still sort of that way. And but it's evolving rapidly. So 2018 Farm Bill, like you mentioned, allowed the sale of of hemp and hemp derived products uh, up to 0.3%. Delta 9, as you know, for the first time, Minnesota is an agricultural state. So that was welcomed. There were and continue to be a lot of excitement around the ability to grow hemp and, and hemp-derived products, industrial hemp products in particular. But of course, like everywhere, we had a little mini green rush. Uh, everyone was assured they were going to get rich selling CBD. And some people did, you know, but not many people got rich doing that, I think. So we had the sort of green rush and the relaxation, but it did, you know, set, sort of set the stage for where we are at today. That community, that business community, that, that the growers, the manufacturers, the retailers, I mean, those obviously are the people who are trying to get into the adult use marijuana market now. And so we have this sort of tight-knit community of people here that have been at it for about five years. Of course, the, the big sort of moment for us in Minnesota was the hemp-derived THC bill that allowed for the sale of edible cannabinoid products with up to five milligrams of THC per serving uh, in, in edibles and beverages. And the beverage thing is what I didn't anticipate taking off, but it has flourished. And I know. you it's hard to go anywhere without having a THC beverage being offered to you. Our THC bill, and again, we call it the edible cannabinoid product law, because if you call it food, then you run into the federal ban on putting cannabinoids in food. So, you know, we're a little wordplay there, whatever it takes. Uh, Always good semantics. It's worked so far. Uh, we've been up and running since July and the feds have left us alone so far. But we have consumption lounges and microbreweries throughout the state for THC beverages. Every microbrewery in the state that I'm aware of has a mm-hmm. THC beverage. We probably had prior to this too many microbreweries, but they are succeeding very well through the sale of THC beverages. And even though we're discussing a full adult use legalization bill now, we are maintaining that market. We are going to continue to have a what they're now calling a low-dose edible market that would allow these THC beverages to continue to be sold over the counter at breweries, at bars, and in restaurants. So it's pretty exciting. I mean, I know the nation has been watching us, and I know I would expect other states are going to do something similar. We haven't had problems that I'm aware of that, you know, there's always a parade of horrors that, that people predict will come, but just hasn't happened. And for the, like I mentioned, the brewery industry, alcohol industry, I think is paying attention to this. Millennials don't drink alcohol like other generations do, but they drink THC beverages. And this, I don't want to overstate it, but it's a bit of a culture shift and it's been really fascinating to watch. Yeah, obviously, I think Minnesota just being this is my assumption, my generalization. So I hope it's semi accurate. But I think, you know, when you have such frigid temperatures, <laughs> maybe there's more of an inclination to want to consume alcohol. Certainly it's generational, I think, but that 
was really fascinating to me watching a state like Minnesota that has a lot of breweries, a lot of microbreweries, a lot of that kind of culture turn and adopt cannabis so fast. I've been trying to kind of pick apart and just, you know, get a pulse for who's doing it, who's offering it. I think, you know, kind of like a sidebar to give some parity. And to follow up with a question for clarity for you, in Texas, we're still operating, obviously, under the hemp bill. Texas does have its own hemp legislation that further enforces or really restricts. From my understanding, our laws can't be more open than the federal bill, but our laws can be more restrictive. And so we're certainly seeing that play out right now in legislation in terms of some of the language we're trying to introduce to kind of restrict these Delta AIDS and these THC cannabinoids. But one, we struggle. I wouldn't say it's explicit. It's kind of depending on who you talk to and, and what their you know thrill threshold is. The conflict between the alcohol board and commissions and cannabis. And so it sounds like Minnesota does have at least like a marijuana program that you were a part of that is hopefully helping, I think, create some of that structure from the cannabis side of things. Texas doesn't have anything to that level just quite yet. And so I think the feedback we're getting is around, you know, these breweries, they don't want to touch it yet. They're like, we don't know. Per your comment too with the FDA, it's obviously not federally legal. It's really gray. And so these brands, they're basically like, look, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to lose our TABC license or Texas alcohol bar something. I don't know the full acronym. Yeah. Don't want to lose that license. And so they're not willing to play. So I understand that Minnesota has specific legislation that does allow it. My follow-up question to you is how does that legislation like how is that legislation different than the farm bill? And why is that legislation needed when technically it legalized up to 0.3% Delta 9? Like, so for example, we already have cannabis beverages in Texas. We have low dose THC up to two and a half milligrams, five milligrams. I mean, there might be higher. Don't quote me, but obviously within that range of a microdose. So maybe it's not as adopted because we don't have specific legislation like Minnesota does, which is maybe giving the confidence to these breweries to go ahead and have the green light to do it. Cause you're yep. seeing some of them here are like, we'd be, we'd be interested if it wasn't so, you know, questionable. And so I'm just trying to understand how that piece of legislation is different than the farm bill or is it not really? It just fully reinforces the legality of it within Minnesota. That's an interesting question. So I'd say, yeah, I forget what term you use, but it's given people cover. I think uh -huh. yes, to a large sure. degree, it arguably could have been done without this legislation. But I think when the state expressly legalizes something, people feel more comfortable doing it. Sure. And I think, you know, along the lines of any piece of marijuana legislation anywhere, there seems to be this wink and nod agreement with, with the federal government that if a state expressly legalizes something, the feds are going to leave you alone, even though it technically, not even technically, it violates federal law. Yeah, right? complex. Like, yeah. So, you know, the Department of Justice has that coal memorandum where they basically say we won't come after you so long as you're complying with state law. I mean, does that expressly apply to our current situation? Well, probably not, but impliedly, yes. And like I say, we've been operating this way in nine months. So, so I just a little background about how this thing passed, you know? Yeah. I was lobbying for this bill and initially it didn't start out to do this. We were just trying to get cannabinoids in food. And suddenly like somebody had this great idea, like let's shoot a little higher. You know, I thought, okay, this was, mind you, still when the Republicans controlled the Senate. So when somebody suggested that, I thought, yeah, fun idea, not a chance. Good well, we tucked it into a health omnibus bill that was about 900 pages and Perhaps you've seen the news coverage down there. It was very famous here. But there was one legislator in particular who may or may not have known he was voting for this. He might not have been alone. To this day, I'm not entirely sure who knew what they were doing and wasn't. But, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube now. Yes. And honestly, I think a lot of Republicans in that time since then have realized, oh, my gosh, my constituents really likes. Yes. And it's not that much to be worried about. So it sort of softened the pathway to full legalization. and. Granted, the Democrats are in control of both chambers and our, our governor, who is a Democrat, has said he's ready to sign a legalization bill. But I went to the first hearing on our legalization bill, and there are a couple of pretty prominent Republicans in that hearing. And their first comments were shocking to me, but maybe in retrospect, understandable. They were not trying to kill the bill. They were trying to make it better. And I thought, huh, well, perhaps you've had some conversations with constituents since this THC edible stuff came out. So 
I'm not, they probably won't vote for the bill, but they are not opposing it to the level that I would have expected had we not done this sort of edible thing in the interim. I think it really has softened the state to this. And I expect, you know, a state like Wisconsin could maybe try something like this. Other states might benefit from it too. I just think there's not a lot to fear about these low dose products. No, I think that's a fair assessment of it, right? And I think that we're seeing that too here in Texas as difficult as the legislation process is where, again, we're having some language around synthetics and these psychoactive, you know, cannabinoids from hemp. And so I understand where the concern is, but I also think because we've had Delta 8 and now hemp drive Delta 9 on the marketplace for the last Delta 8, at least three years, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, look, it's really not that bad. People are, yes, there's bad operators, but the majority of the industry who's like fighting for this and trying to self-regulate, like, look, it's it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So how do you then work with the law to make better laws that impact the industry and not just kind of blanket slate, illegalize something or write something off because you don't know something or because you're afraid of it, which is kind of my whole opinion about hemp in general, especially for states like ours that are more conservative driven. Again, did they really anticipate that this was the industry that they were legalizing when they introduced this legislation? No, but now it's here. And so you can certainly see the softening of everything happening. My my concern, my question mark with all of this is just how does it get implemented when you are going for adult use? And so that's kind of like leading into the next part of the equation, right? For your state, especially Mm-hmm. which I know you're on, you know, both sides of that coin or not both sides mm-hmm. of the coin, but you, you support both of those yeah. entities. So hemp and marijuana, right? I don't know how they coexist. I mean, you <laughs> made a comment about, you know, keeping the low dose, but obviously my observations again, marijuana seems to be pretty irate that we can sell psychoactive cannabinoids across yeah. state lines due to the farm bill and they're regulated with their states and the taxation and all the other bills and impositions that make what they're doing really difficult. And so I'm kind of, you know, both living it as someone in a state like Texas, where we have a very immature medical marijuana program that is up for better legislation this year. We're Mm. navigating through hemp, but also looking at just, you know, the state of the United States right now. It's very fascinating to me because no state has really implemented a a place for hemp and marijuana to coexist. That makes sense. That could be replicated. So I'm just curious, kind of, what this bill is introducing. I mean, you said even just 15 different licenses. I'm curious how hemp fits into that. And Mm -hmm. also just want to understand too, does Minnesota have medical marijuana presently? Mm -hmm. So So, what's the medical marijuana program like that this would expand upon perhaps is a good place to start. Bunch of different competing (laughs) dynamics there. So let me back up a little bit. So again, we passed this edible cannabinoid product law last year became legal as of July 1 to sell gummies with up to five milligrams per serving of hemp-derived THC and beverages with up to five milligrams per serving of of hemp-derived THC. And July 1, there were lines around the block at CBD stores, right? The the odd thing about our law, among more than one odd thing, but the very odd thing is that no license is required to sell this stuff. You don't need permission from anyone. There is no special tax. There is no real regulation or enforcement around these products whatsoever. Wait, pause there. So no. So so from my perspective, as a hemp operator, I have to have a license in Texas to both manufacture and to retail sell. So you're saying to sell these beverages, these breweries don't have to get any license to make the product, to sell the product presently. Uh, To sell the product, you do not need a license to make the product. We have an industrial hemp program where you do need a license to grow and manufacture. But in terms of retail sales, anyone in Minnesota can sell it anywhere. Girl Scout stand, grocery store, restaurant. The only place you can't sell it is a liquor store because their regulatory body says no TAC. So the irony is the one place that's probably most well-equipped to sell it is the only place you can't sell it. So again, no special tax. And so what we're seeing, you know, the free market reacted to that. In perhaps unsurprising ways, there are products on the shelves, 50 milligrams of THC in a can, right? And they just say, oh, there's 10 servings in here. Well, is that legal? Maybe. Is it pushing the envelope to the point that the legislators and the regulators have said, hey, yeah. So it is getting reined back in our legalization Same. bill. They will be limited to, at the moment to five milligrams per can per container for the beverage. And there, there is obviously 
going to be ultimately a license requirement for that. But they're going to continue to operate under the current bill, no license, et cetera, probably until mid-2024, until our Office of Cannabis Management is up and running. So that's the only game in town for the next year or so. And so all these entrepreneurs calling me, they say, I want to get in on the adult use market. I say, makes sense. Would you like to make some money in the hemp-derived THC market in the interim? And they say, oh, I never thought about that. But (laughs) there's plenty of money to be made there now and probably even after legalization because there are business advantages to operating on the hemp side, obviously, that the marijuana people don't enjoy. You can deduct your taxes. uh, I'm sorry, your expenses and your taxes, unlike the marijuana people uh, with the 280 issue. You have better access to banking products, insurance products, interstate commerce is available to you. Many of our THC beverages and edibles are coming from out-of-state suppliers. Hometown Hero, which I think is probably down the street from here, shipping tons of stuff. Our Wink, um, oh gosh, who's the other? Cantrip out of Massachusetts are shipping their THC beverages to Minnesota. So that's pretty remarkable, right? And and. Yet, you asked about our medical program. We have one of the more restrictive medical marijuana programs in the country. We have only two providers that promised to be Minnesota businesses when they got up and running in 2014. They both sold out to multi-state operators. They are not well-liked at the legislature because of that. The initial legislation was very punitive to them. It's been loosened up a little bit, but they will continue to operate here. No doubt about it. They're going to join the adult use market as well. But I think there will be many people who try to play on both sides of the point three, they'll operate in the hemp space and the marijuana space. Honestly, I don't know who's going to win. And uh, we don't have a robust adult use marijuana market at all. Obviously, we have a very small medical marijuana market. So the, the opposition you would find in other states to the survival of the hemp guys just isn't as robust. And yet they're still squawking a little bit because they were used to operating under no rules whatsoever. And I keep trying to tell some of them, like, but you knew that wasn't going to last, right? Come on. We, we had to put some rules on this. And some of them recognize it. Some of them don't. But when you're making money like crazy with no rules, it's tough to give that up. quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. Yeah, it's really interesting to understand the, I guess, maybe ignorance of how this bill got passed and what it opened up. But to our, you know, kind of collective thoughts, it softened the blow to show, hey, this is what it is and it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me that there are, I don't want to call them bad actors, but probably um, creative actors who are, you know, interpreting the the language to servings to facilitate a higher strength of product. But it is remarkable to me just to kind of hear you outlining this and to like picture in my head, because even just like going on the internet and searching for these beverages, like you said, I see a lot of the breweries are driving this probably because they have the infrastructure already in place to be able to can something, get it out to consumers. Mm -hmm. Just for clarification, Minnesota, I mean, just because you can't sell it in liquor stores, how are they getting away with selling it in breweries? Does that not conflict with their license or the way the law is written? Because like, that's just crazy to me. I mean, again, going back to Texas, we have had conversations just in general. I have both friends who run hemp businesses who have partnered with breweries. We are businesses in a, a, a central area here in Austin where there's a lot of breweries around us. So we've made friends with them and they'll do, you know, collaborations, but no product infusion. Like they don't want to touch it. They don't want to lose their license. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, maybe there's any, you know, way that people have navigated around it or they're just kind of operating in the gray area until someone stops them. But maybe it's maybe it's because there's so much mass of it. Like everybody's doing it because I just saw every single brewery and you go to their Instagram and they've got thousands and thousands of followers. I mean, yes, some are micro, but some are probably some of the state's largest breweries operating in this space now. And so I'm just like, how do you how do you do that if your state doesn't let you sell it in liquor stores, but you can sell it on your property where you're also selling alcohol? Yeah. So as I understand, I, I'm not a brewery expert by any means, 
But I recall initially there was some concern that selling THC beverages in a microbrewery, for example, might jeopardize some sort of federal license. And I, and I recall looking into that and, and I think everyone kind of reached the same conclusion. Basically, if, if you're selling a product that's legal under state law, you're good. And it certainly hasn't stopped anybody. The consumption lounges, you know, are pretty remarkable. We have breweries, and I'm sure you, you have them in Austin, where you will have tables of people drinking THC beverages, right? And, and that is just remarkable to me because I don't know if it, that exists anywhere else in the country. And now that it's finally getting warmer here, it's going to be exciting to see what happens this summer. Now, I got to prioritize uh, coming up to Minnesota and taking uh, a personal, you know, exploration through all these different products because it's, it is, it's crazy. I mean, Austin, like I mentioned, we do dabble with the THC beverages as a community here, but you're not seeing them as, I guess, adopted. I think part of it too is consumers just really don't know. Going back to my earlier point, you know, they're very, bless their souls, they're very ignorant. They don't understand what Delta 9 is, especially because our state had Delta 8 first. Most people aren't able to comprehend that Delta 9 is the psychoactive cannabinoid in marijuana. And so they're just like, not for me, not interested. So I'd be curious to understand, maybe you know, but just putting it out there, like what drove so many people to adopt this? Was it the media kind of Mm. clarifying it in that kind of, you know, flash headline saying like, oh, they, you know, inadvertently legalized cannabis beverages? Or was it the peer to peer just hey, this is legal now. Because again, I've seen THC beverages here locally, but I I think it takes time for people to understand like, this is legal, what I can consume this, like, where can I Mm -hmm. buy this? And so it's certainly not being sold. Some breweries, but very exclusive breweries who are willing to take that risk right now in Texas. So you're buying it maybe at a dispensary, maybe at a small boutique grocery store, but it's certainly not being sold yet, perhaps in gas stations or grocery stores or larger distribution points. So it's weird because we have it, but we don't have that same crazy fanaticism like you're expressing is going on in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, okay. Backing up a second. So the bill itself was was a compromise of sorts because we had some legislators who were concerned about black market vapes finding their way here. And they were concerned about Delta 8 and the potential health ramifications there. So allowing for edible products and not allowing for vapes and allowing for Delta 9 extracted probably from CBD in most of these products largely has done away with our Delta 8 market. You know, unless somebody's really seeking it out, I don't know why they would because now we have Delta 9 products at built. So it was trying to address a couple of health concerns. Um, and you're, you're asking what, you know, what, what's causing people to sort of rush into this market? I mean, it's money. People are making a lot of money on this stuff. A six pack, I think, of THC beverages is like 30 to $40, right? And I don't know what it costs to produce, but it, it's 30 to $40. And initially I was getting contacted by clients who said, well, what can our distribution channels be for this? And I would call these traditional maybe beer wholesalers and they wanted nothing to do. They're like, THC, no way. But they have changed their tune because mm. they've realized this is here to stay and there's a lot of money to be made and their clients and customers want it. And I mean, it's just the market has done its work. It's done its magic and it has propped up this market. And, you know, we're a liberal state, so we didn't need a, the, the customers didn't need a lot of controlling to try this. But the businesses have come along. The more traditional businesses have come along. No, that makes sense. And I, I guess to clarify to you, my point wasn't so much about the operators. That I know makes sense. Anybody who's like, oh, I can legally sell THC who understands that. I was mm. more curious of the consumers, how they are coming to the acknowledgement. Because in Texas, we oh. struggle with consumers accepting Delta 9. Yep. Shockingly, yep. even though I sell Delta 9, like I said, I have edibles, I have beverages. I still, I would say it's it's split 50. I have customers who come in, swear by Delta 8. They want nothing to do with Delta 9. And I have to respect that because I do yeah. think that different cannabinoids can affect people differently. It just is such a fascinating conversation where people are, again, very ignorant to understand what is the responsible cannabinoid that they enjoy from marijuana, perhaps when they're going to Colorado or California or Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then when they have the products in front of them, you're explaining to them what is legal and they like, it just goes over their head. They're like, oh, just one Delta eight. That's what makes sense to me. And so it's just curious how customers caught on not yeah. putting Minnesota in a box, but you know, how, how did, how did Minnesota know this is, you know, the good stuff? This is the. 
THC beverage that's going to get you to feel high, you know? You know, I think it's probably because of all the news coverage this law got. There was a day where I was talking to a different reporter every day for a couple of weeks there. And because every TV station and not just in Minnesota, like across the country. No, it was super national. And so I just think the word got out. Yeah. (laughs) To the extent anybody was going to be confused, they were educated by the news media because it was everywhere. Yeah, got to think the media sometimes, I think they do a, do a good job helping, you know, spread the news and getting people to react and, and turning those uh, reactions into sales, right? Which everybody Honestly, benefits from. People like cannabis news. Yeah. Gobble it up. You know, yes. as a former reporter, <laughs> do you want to read about last night's city council meeting or would you like to read about a new THC? Yeah, well, something that's spicy. Yeah, right. Spicy and new and weird. I'm probably going to read the story about THC. Yeah, it catches people's attention for sure. Now that makes sense and is in line with my assumption, I guess, of how it could be adopted so fast because it certainly got national coverage. I mean, everybody was paying attention to it. Now kind of getting back a little bit into this new marijuana adult use Mm -hmm. legislation. Mm -hmm. Again, my brain just keeps jumping to what are these 15 licenses doing? But also how are you helping to, I guess, maybe it's, your leadership, but certainly other people, but like, how are you helping to guarantee or watch this bill go through again with my limited understanding from Texas politics and participating in the process myself with certain bills getting passed, you know, through different House and Senate side of the conversations? It's like knowing that your governor is very supportive of it. Like, is it for sure going to pass? It's just how does it get passed? Or is it going to be held up for any reason? I mean, just the news article reports I was reading today, because I think some update came out just today with some new information, and it was a lot of uproar from hemp operators. And so I would just love clarity from your perspective on, you know, what this bill is intending to do and how accessible it would be for licensing and and kind of where the line does or doesn't get drawn. I mean, I know you mentioned too, you know, obviously people would play on both sides of that 0.3%, but like why would someone want legalization other than flour, concentrates, vape, when you could have access to edibles? And that is even becoming more of a trend just even nationally where you're seeing, not that smokables isn't still a driving category, it's just Mm -hmm. you're seeing the disruption of consumables, especially beverages being super popular. It seems like Minnesota already has that nailed down. Yeah. So first on the license types, and then I'll address sort of why I'm pretty confident this is going to pass. So yeah, 15 different license types. We um, have had some time to brew over this. Like I say, the, the, the Minnesota House passed a legalization bill about two years ago, and many of those legislators are very focused on social equity and trying to keep multi-state operators out of Minnesota. Uh, you know, I'll just say, like, I don't know if you can ever effectively do that, but they're trying, right? Yeah, and having, it's good. Good uh, to think that way. Yeah. And having very high residency requirements. So the goal here is to have a Minnesota craft cannabis community. So the only license types that are allowed to be vertically integrated are for those licensees who would have a relatively small canopy size with the idea that we want to try to promote lots of people who maybe don't have access to tons of capital. But we want lots of small operators, kind of along the lines of a microbrewery idea. And initially, the initial draft of the bill wasn't going to allow any bulk cultivation licenses at all. They've softened that a bit because the bill tries to empower the Office of Cannabis Management with the ability to kind of regulate the number of licensees, regulate the num- the, the amount of canopy to what the market is demanding. And so I think until they see how many applications are coming in, they don't really know how many licenses they're going to be issuing. So there is no cap on the licenses, but it gives the Office of Cannabis Management a ton of discretion in terms of how many they're going to issue. Because we've seen the problems with oversupply and how that, you know, just finds its way, gets diverted and then finds its way out out of the borders. We've seen the problem with really high taxes. So our tax rate is at 8%, the excise tax, which I think would be the lowest tax rate in the country. Because we've seen what overregulation and high tax rates do in places like California. And we don't allow for localities to opt out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because again, if you allow localities to opt out, well, that, and that's going to create a marijuana desert and the illicit market is going to rush in to fill the needs. So we're trying to learn, right? We're doing a lot of social engineering through this bill. A lot of it might fail. Who knows? I hope not. I hope it all works. But a lot of these other licenses, transporter license type, delivery license type, they are aimed to try to give... Again, perhaps um, communities of color, communities that don't have a lot of access to buckets of cash, a way into the market. So 
and, and again, with the gradations of the licenses, we're trying to push people into sort of very small canopies, we're trying to spread out the wealth, I guess, a little bit than other states where if you just sort of let the market run rampant, then it's only the biggest, most powerful, wealthiest people that are probably going to succeed. No, that's oh, a fair point. I think I was going to answer your question about legalization. Why I'm oh, so yeah, sure. This gets a little wonky. Bear with me. It always is. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, well, until recently, we had two major political parties that were single issue marijuana legalization. Now we have one. And you would think, well, that's great. You would think that that would help the legalization process. So by qualifying for major party status, they no longer need to gather signatures. They don't need anybody's permission. They can run a candidate in any race anywhere against the Republicans and the Democrats. Again, you're still not saying, why does this matter? Well, what has happened is candidates in those parties have run in swing districts where the margin of victory is very tight. And there's news reporting that Republicans are starting to recruit people to run as the legal marijuana now party so that they siphon votes from the Democrat. And you can never prove this conclusively because you'll never know, well, would that vote for the marijuana party really have gone to a Democrat? Who knows? But many, in I can think of like three or four instances, the margin of victory was smaller than the number of votes that the marijuana party candidate. In fact, the Republicans sent somebody to Congress in a situation like that. And I think the Democratic Party has looked at that and said, we have to put those marijuana parties out of business. And the only way to do that is to legalize marijuana. And I don't think they'd ever come out and say that, but something has changed at the Capitol because there were Democrats two years ago who said, I will never vote for a legalization bill. They have changed their tune. And I don't think it's just because they've read up on how inequitable this this law is. I think they've realized there's an electoral politics reason to support legalization, at least in Minnesota, for that sort of strange, unique reason. No, that's very fascinating. Obviously, I think I know very little about politics, but I feel like I know more than the average person just because they have been involved in advocacy for the last five years, specifically on this topic and subject. Mm-hmm. And it is remarkable. I mean, just going to D.C. last year, I've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. You just your eyes become completely open when you see how slow politics moves and how much of a buddy system it is and nepotism and, you know, friend favors under the table. And so it doesn't surprise me that there is, you know, mismanagement going on and obviously some influence of that, you know, creating more influence for people to do or not do something. And so it's just very fascinating, right? I think the sentiment right now in Texas is, you know, which maybe it's like a hot take, but I think a lot of people are like, ooh, it's um, it's clearly the, which I believe to be true as well, the lieutenant governor of Texas is very anti-cannabis. I think he is the linchpin. Like, I think our governor, despite being Republican, would be more open-minded to cannabis. It's our lieutenant governor who's like very anti-it. But then I've been in a couple conversations where they're, you know, sharing that the lieutenant governor has his potential hands in some CBD industry businesses. And it's like, of course, that goes completely against his whole stance and what he's doing right now in, you know, our local capital. But it's like, I don't know, probably, I mean, you want to be anti something until you figure out how it can benefit you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you change your, your opinion, your tune, um, for better or worse. And obviously the, operators, the community, the constituents, the consumers are the ones who lose out when that politics gets done. And so it really is important to have people in places, power, leadership, uh, lobbying, legal that can help make sense of it and, and help navigate through it. It's not over by any means, right? And so it's it's one of those things I think is ongoing. I mean, to your point earlier, you know, you're constantly reworking the the legislation, the regulation of things like how things are actually like implemented, you're learning as you're going. It's it's not a final punctuation by any means. And so it's cool to hear what Minnesota is doing because I think, yeah, there are a lot of li- a lot of eyes on your state right now. And it's just like when are things going to get settled out? So are y'all in session now? Like does it line up with I think maybe everybody's in legislative session for the states that do that? Because Texas is in session, I think, until the end of May. Is that pretty in line with Minnesota? Yeah, we're in until I think the end of the third week of May. Okay. Uh, we So the bill needs to go through a couple more committees in each chamber, and then it's onto a floor vote in each chamber. The bills don't match. So then they need to go to a conference committee where they're going to hash out the differences. That's where the heavy lifting is really going to occur. I will essentially be living at the Capitol during those that period. And then back to a floor vote with a, with a, a bill that matches and hopefully to the governor's desk sometime in mid-May. But 
there, like I say, we've only got a one vote. The Democrats only have a one vote majority in the Senate. There are two or three senators who have expressed some hesitancy, but pretty confident they'll come along. Yeah, it's just too important to the party as a whole. They've made it such a priority. And for those you know, electoral reasons I've mentioned. I think they're going to get it done. Well, like you said, which I use a similar analogy, the cat's out of the bag, the toothpaste is out of the tube. It needs to get dealt with, unfortunately, for better or worse legislation, which is kind of the ugly head that I'm anticipating for your state and my state as well. Because it's like, yes, you wanted to get dealt with in legislation. Like I'm not anti-legalization adult use in Texas, but I also know that adult use in Texas has to has to deal with the hemp industry, has to deal with the farm bill. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm still, you know, making speculations. Absolutely. But it's just with politics, like I highlighted, it's just so inconsistent. And I never want to be too confident that I think I know how things are going to turn out. So that's where I always appreciate having smarter than myself guests come on the show and certainly share and talk about their state. So this is super informative for me. I really appreciate your insight into what's going on. And and seriously, I need to book a trip to Minnesota to come (laughs) explore some of these beverages myself. But kind of final question, final note, you know, what are you anticipating, not just from the legalization perspective, but what are you aspiring? Like, like what's kind of like the next step for you in terms of seeing this through? I know there's the political side of it, but more from like an industry for your clients or the state of Minnesota. Like, what's the aspirational dream for the state to adopt a program that benefits everybody, I guess? Like, how would you envision that kind of going and, and what's next steps for you? Yeah, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm anticipating that we're going to legalize in Minnesota. It has great social equity components, obviously has a robust expungement component. I'm happy to see that we're going to, going to allow our hemp-derived THC products to continue to be sold. Um, like I said, the THC beverages have been really interesting to watch that market flourish. Be interesting to watch how, you know, I know there's that hemp and marijuana tension throughout the country. It's happening here too. I mean, it, those industries are butting heads. But as a native Wisconsinite, I'm paying very close attention to Wisconsin. You may or may not have noticed there was an election for a Supreme Court justice seat, which uh, went to, I mean, it's not partisan, but come on, she's a Democrat. And there may be some changes to the the uh, legislative maps there that have allowed Wisconsin to become one of the most gerrymandered states in the country. They have a Democratic governor, yet Republicans have like 60% of the seats in the, in the legislature. I mean, that doesn't reflect the will of the people. And as more states around Wisconsin start to legalize, there's going to be pressure on Wisconsin. And there's one, one senator in particular, I'm talking to her on Monday, she's going on a statewide listing tour to talk mm. about legalization, which is a great idea. That's what House um, uh, Majority Leader Ryan Winkler did here in Minnesota. And guess what you're going to hear when you go out to the people? They all want it, Right. Maybe not in the same percentages everywhere, but I'm guessing a majority of Wisconsinites want to legalize marijuana. And, you know, there may be lessons to be taken from Minnesota. Maybe you should try hemp-derived edibles first. Perhaps that isn't as big of a lift as legalizing adult use marijuana right out of the gate. So I'm interested to work with people in Wisconsin because that is a a natural next step, I think, in, in the upper Midwest. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.